I want to begin today's episode um, with a little bit of a different twist. I usually begin every episode to, uh, with an inspirational quote to start discussing different things that pertain to our topic at hand. Today's a little different. I'm going to share my own personal experience, and I'm going to share an experience from one of our clients. I know that a lot of you guys are going through prep. A lot of you guys are going through some turmoil, uh, and I want to encourage people that whatever it is that you're going through, never quit. Winners find ways to win, and that's just it. And winning doesn't necessarily mean you win at everything. In order to win, sometimes you have to fall down and learn from your experiences. So approximately four months ago, I went through my own uh, medical scare, and not many people know about this. I was bedridden for about 12 days. Um, doctors wanted to rule out, uh, you know, they didn't diagnose it, but they were stating that I might have cancer, stomach cancer. And it hit home because uh, that's really when you realize the people that are around you are truly your family. And I soon realized that everybody that I've always tried to help are not always there for you. So you got to be very selective in the people that are around you. And you have to know that the people that are around you through thick and thin are always going to be there for you. I'm very selective in my group of people, my friends, my inner circle. And I want to keep it that way just because I know the people that are there for me through thick and thin are always going to be there for me. So with that being said, what I wanted to do is have an understanding of the things that matter in life. Uh, I always say God first, family second, and it's something that I truly believe. And family is not just the people that are bound to you by blood. Family are people that are bound to you through friendship, that have been there through thick and thin, and will continue to be there for you. So about a week ago, I had a gentleman that um, is a big fan of our products. Uh, I met him through uh, Team Amino Pure, and he reached out to me and said, hey, brother, I have been missing in action. And uh, I apologized, and I said, no worries. I just wanted to check in with you and see how you're doing. Um, he's in the medical field, and uh, he was at the very forefront of the COVID uh, battles with um, working the, I believe, ER. And... Um, that's how I met him. And, uh, and, and I think he's from Las Vegas, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, he, sh he shared with me his experience. He said, no more Superman things for me because I've been diagnosed with stomach cancer. And it hit home because I had gone through my scare where I was sick to the bone. I mean, I was in bed for 12 days. I couldn't move. I felt like dying, but I knew that I would get through it. I had my biopsy. I had a bunch of different tests run to diagnose the fact that I didn't have cancer. I'm 120% now. I feel much better. It hit home because I had gone through that and, and I came out negative. And uh, he said, no more Superman shit for me, man. And I said, I don't know what words I can share with you that are going to make you feel better. But what I can tell you is this is going to be the hardest battle of your life. This is the time to take that overall up on stage where the lights are the brightest. You have your family that loves you. We have our entire team, I mean, up here, I myself are behind you. I learn from experiences that people share with me on a daily basis. It makes me a better human being. It makes me understand that there's some really good genuine people in the world and it helps me grow emotionally, physically, and mentally. And I thank you for all of that because uh, it allows me to really understand the humanity of people on a daily basis. And also the fact that there's some people that are just what I call moochers that are just going to take your energy away. And you need to understand that those people have no place in your life. Surround yourself with people that love you. Surround yourself with family. And like I always say, God first, family second. And if you don't understand that, eventually life will teach you that. With that being said, I will dedicate this episode to my friend, our friend at Team Amino Pure. Stan, this episode is for you, and I wish you nothing but the best with the biggest battle of your life. Welcome to episode five, Gut Disorders. Welcome to episode five, guys. Hard Facts Fitness. Today, we have all things gut biome. Uh, I have here today my co-host, Sonia Spiel from Team Body Lab Seattle. What up? And I have our special guest, Travis Zipper. Hey, Travis, how are you? Yeah, how you doing, buddy? 
Good, good, man. We have sunny California. Never a bad day in Travis's life, man. Down in sunny California. What part of California, Travis? Huntington Beach. Huntington Beach, man. You you look like a Huntington Beach guy. (laughs) I'm from Chino Hills, but not from the beach, from the inland originally. But (laughs) I love I I love Huntington Beach. Yeah, totally. So we have a special treat for you guys today. We have Travis Zipper, and we're going to discuss as as you guys have known in the past. We've spoken about correlation of sleep with cortisol, micros, macros. Uh, we, what, what else have we talked about? PEDS, um, HRT, and now we're going to dive into the gut, which is considered by many the second brain, right? So we want to start today primarily, um, Travis, and give you the, the majority of the time here to discuss the correlation between your stomach and your brain and how they work hand in hand and the signaling of your gut and your brain. And start off with that. And then I know we're going to go into a lot of different topics. Let's dive into, I want to give Travis like a proper intro for a lot of people who like don't know, because I know you and I talked about it beforehand. Um, Guys, for those of you listening, Travis Zipper is um, an online nutrition coach, but he's also working towards his doctorate. And is it functional nutrition right now, Travis? Clinical. Clinical nutrition. nutrition, clinical nutrition. He has his own program, the WellFits Mentorship for any of the coaches listening. It's absolutely amazing. I'm part of it, but he also does a lot of the courses for NCI. So that is, um, that's a huge platform. If you're a coach listening, or if you're looking to, you know, broaden your understanding and maybe move into the realm of coaching, it's definitely something I would check out. So Travis has a vast knowledge of everything from gut health to thyroid disorders, to hormonal dysfunctions, um, peaking protocols. So he's really just a wealth of knowledge and we're just going to dive into gut health in this one episode with him, but we'll probably have him back on some other stuff. Travis, tell us a little bit about how you got into, how did, how you started from HRT and, and clinics on that end and, and into what you're doing now and what was your driving force for that? I started in a weight loss clinic where I was actually a coach for prescribing like fentramine and HCG diets. And, you know, I look back at it and cringe uh, at what I was helping people do. Uh, but I was still helping them live a healthy life, but I just got very, um, I don't know, turned away from the medical model using drugs to treat problems and not look at lifestyle. And I got into a realm where I was seeing people that were doing everything right. And they were having a great diet and they were, uh, sleeping and they were still disasters and I didn't know how to help them. And that was been my always Uh, my cue to want to go on and just continue to learn and help more people. So when someone comes to me, uh, I don't have my hands up saying, I can't help you. Uh, And that's kind of where that's my driving force for, for where I am today. Awesome. Love to hear it. Love to hear it. So um, yeah, let's dive into the gut stuff. I want to kind of start with um, breakdown for our listeners what is leaky gut? It's kind of a hot topic right now. You see it everywhere. A lot of people have heard about it, but don't know exactly what it is and how it occurs. Okay. So leaky gut is pretty much the breakdown of what's called the epithelial layer. So think of the, the gut as a long tube that goes down the body. When you're in the gut, you're not actually inside the body until you get into the bloodstream. So we eat things, we have parasites, we have uh, uh, bacteria that we eat and our body does a very good job of preventing it from getting into our bloodstream where it can cause problems. So there's this layer of cells and it's actually only one cell deep that is the endothelial layer. And basically think of it as bricks that are connected, uh, which are cells, endothelial cells. And when those bricks, or let's say the cement between the bricks, uh, bricks, uh, degrades, it lets things into the, the bloodstream that it shouldn't be. There's two types of pretty much leaky gut. There's called paracellular, which means it goes through the cracks. And then there's transcellular. It means that actually the cell literally breaks down and whole bunches of things can come in. So obviously we don't want that to happen. Uh, uh, we don't want uh, uh, a lot of the things that are in the digestive tract to get into the bloodstream because that's our first layer of defense. When that happens, it can lead to lots of problems. What are the most common problems with leaky gut that you're seeing as far as autoimmune and inflammation? So one is that it lets in something called um, uh, lipopolysaccharides, which is a very fancy word for inflammatory bacteria that's in the gut. And when this inflammatory bacteria is in the gut, it's okay in the gut because the gut keeps it in balance with the immune cells, but it's not meant to get into the bloodstream. 
And when it does get into the bloodstream, it causes something called endotoxemia. So think endogenous toxins getting into the body. And when that does, it raises inflammation levels tremendously. These inflammation, uh, these lipopolysaccharides can travel anywhere in the body if they get into the lymph system, which is kind of like the superhighway for reaching all parts of the body and can make it up to the brain, can make it to the testes or the ovaries, cause lots of problems as inflammation tends to do. So I have a question. Uh, how do you diagnose leaky gut? Honestly, there are some tests for it that you can look at. There's what's called a lactulose manulose, uh, manulose test where you drink this sugar solution and it's a big molecule and a small molecule and pretty much how much you pee out in a, over a six hour period or the next morning should tell you how much you, how much leaky gut you have. It's not a very reliable test by any means. Uh, besides that, there's not a lot of great testing for intestinal permeability. You have to kind of look at symptoms. Yeah. Go for it. <laughs> That's what my next question. The symptoms of leaky gut. Uh, a lot of them are going to be uh, food intolerances. So all of a sudden a person can no longer tolerate eating certain foods. A person that comes to you that's uh, eating the same 10 foods over and over again, if they go outside that, they have issues. Skin problems can be uh, a big issue. Uh, inflammatory like uh, skin problems or like rashes or eczema can be a symptom. Brain fog is, is a big one of leaky gut. Uh, just overall fatigue uh, can be another. And honestly, I think almost every negative chronic related condition that's inflammatory can be connected to intestinal permeability. The symptoms are very similar to SIBO, right? So how do you, how can you tell the difference between whether you have SIBO or if you have leaky gut? So the main symptom of SIBO is going to be bloating in the small intestine that doesn't go anywhere. Uh, and usually after a, a several hours of eating most of the time fiber-based foods, higher fiber, FODMAP-based foods. So SIBO can cause leaky gut and leaky gut can cause SIBO uh, and they're seen together in, in high amounts but one doesn't necessarily mean the other. The problem with SIBO, which is why it's so hard to get rid of, is that every time that you get bloated or the bacteria makes its way from the large intestine to the small intestine, what's called small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. Every time that it happens, it loosens up the valve between the large intestine and the small intestine. What that does is continue to let bacteria in. So every time you get bloated, which is the hallmark symptom of SIBO, it's just creating a vicious cycle. So it's very, very hard to get rid of. Uh, the most recent data has come out showing that even rifaximin, which is the main antibiotic that they use for it, which is, does really only stay in the gut. There's not a lot of, a, as I call it, a carpet fire bomb for the gut. The recurrence rate is 100%. So it's pretty much a useless therapy uh, for treating SIBO. And the, one of the biggest things you have to do for SIBO is you have to stimulate what's called vagal tone, which is the vagus nerve, which contracts and pushes food downward because it's a motility issue a lot of the times. You're not pushing food down quick enough. And then healing some leaky gut would be a, a great one as well. I think one of the things too that happens is a lot of times people have had a certain way of eating and living and, and their digestive tract has been a certain way for a long enough time that that's what they consider quote unquote normal. So they are go, you know going to the bathroom every two days. That's normal to them. Um, or they just have bloating after they eat or that's normal to them. And they've just adopted these ways. And I think what happens is we start losing sight of that, these symptoms. And we're just kind of writing it off as like, oh, well, it's just the way I am now. Even though these are high markers, our body is trying to send us signals that something is not right. And I think in today's society, everyone is so quick to say, well, I have all these food intolerances. Let me get a food intolerance test rather than looking at a specific issue. Like, is this a, a bacteria overgrowth? Is this a leaky gut issue? Um, or, you know, am I, am I getting enough food variety? So can you dive in just a little bit more about how much like food variety and some of the lifestyle factors play such a huge role into gut dysfunction? Everyone wants a quick fix these days. They want a pill, they want a supplement, they want a fancy protocol. And a lot of times those people have no idea what it means to build a solid foundation. Go back to the basics. Why does someone have hormone problems? Why does someone have uh, any problem? It can be usually tied back to some core dysfunction of blood sugar, stress, lack of social engagement, sunshine. You know, the, the list can go on and on, but actually I'm taking that back. It's really not that big of a list uh, when you're looking at it. But 
I think food variety and fiber variety are one of the biggest things that can, that can go forward in, in creating a healthy gut and a microbiome. The, uh, the American gut just came out with a study where they looked at over 20,000 samples of people's gut microbiome. And they concluded that people who eat 30 plant foods per week, 30 different plant foods had zero traces of chronic disease where people who only ate 10 plant foods per week had significant symptoms of chronic disease. With Travis is saying 10, uh, you know, being an online coach and working with clients in, in person and in online, m- most of the time when I'm onboarding, 10 would be a stretch. That's if a you really broke down, because people are like, no, I eat fruits every day, blueberries and, and strawberries, or ban- I have a banana and an apple. Okay. Well, that's two fruits. And what vegetables do you eat? Asparagus and broccoli. Well, that's two vegetables. So what else? Lettuce. Great. That really has like no value. (laughs) So bring me another one. And it's like, it's amazing when you really start to dive into it, how much that can lack in a person's life and how much just something so little as adding that in can make a huge difference. Like even Trader Joe's, like if you go to Trader Joe's, they have these, it's called an eight veggie mix. And it's literally like radish, jicama, broccoli. I think it's cauliflower, some cabbage. And in carrots, and it's like just something like that. It's already chopped up. And it, Travis, you taught me like this. Just putting some of that in a smoothie, like two or three tablespoons, can give you more food variety. You don't have to like go eat like a one cup of each of those veggies. You can just add a little bit of that in, and that can honestly start to step you in the right direction to having more fruit, uh, more food variety, and a healthier gut microbiome. And it's really not. It's it's not expensive. It's just going to take a little bit more work than you're doing now. I think that's where the green supplements come into play. I think a lot too, for people like even myself, I'm not a big vegetable fan. So some I'll eat broccoli. I'll eat. And you're right. Sonia, I limit myself to like broccoli. Pro foods. Yeah. Pro foods. (laughs) And that's it. So, (laughs) so adding, adding some, adding some greens would be, would be quite helpful. But let me ask you a question, Travis, with regards to what you just mentioned right now, uh, a lot of, a lot of our listeners are bodybuilding. Sonia had mentioned before. And, um, Obviously, when you're going through a prep or you're going through um, some kind of, you know, prep or bodybuilding style of eating, you are you limit yourself to the same foods. I do it. I mean, you look at my desk right now. It's the same food every day, every day, every day. How does that impact your enzyme, your enzymes in your system? And could that lead to gut disorders later on? Yeah. Yeah. So if you don't uh, consume things that require the enzymes to break them down, they're, they tend to downregulate. This happens a lot with gluten and dairy. This is why people cut it out and then they reintroduce it. They're always having problems with it. But here's a little fun fact for you. The human body only makes 17 digestive enzymes, okay? The microbiome makes 60,000, okay? So in order for you to get a lot of the nutrients out of that asparagus that you're eating, okay, you actually need your gut bugs to break it down so that they can absorb it and create short chain fatty acids so you can have health levels. Uh, So I would say if you're eating the same foods over and over again, what you're doing is you're starving all of those extra sources of bacteria in your gut that are required to break things down in the most efficient way to give you, let's just say, optimal levels of health. Get all that zinc out of a food or get all that vitamin B uh, out, out of those leafy greens or thiamine, things like that. So it's really important. And, and I've had my days in, on, on bodybuilding shows going for a pro card, made the, uh, the decision to test my gut after a week after being on stage. Uh, let's just say it was, um, it wasn't pretty, uh, it was, it was, all, it was pretty nasty. This call have gone through that where you're like, Oh, I'm just going to like, and it just, it's not a good idea. You're like dying probably. Right. And, and I think uh, I've had it when I went to Vegas, actually, I was do I was trying to lean out. I was actually really, really lean by then. And I went to Vegas and I had a barrage of food. I mean, foods that I was not eating before when I was trying to get lean. And you get to the point where you eat so much and you're so bloated. You're like, don't touch me. Don't look at me. Don't just don't. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and I always tell people the same thing. I say, try to keep variety in your food. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of that as, as myself. And then you throw in, let's say you stop eating meat, beef or meat for, let's say uh, a couple months. And then you eat a burger, you're going to have issues. And I yeah. think that's the downregulation of enzymes, correct? Uh, that's going to be more hydrochloric acid in the stomach. Okay. So there are some enzymes that, but think uh, it's important to know that protein breakdown, majority of that starts in the stomach. 
fibers happen in the small intestine. So proteins start uh, through hydrochloric acid. So yeah, if you're not eating meat, you're not stimulating the body to produce something that's going to help break that down. So the first time you have that steak, uh, your body's not used to it. And it just sits in your stomach like a lead weight and you get super bloated. Kind of diving into stomach acid, because this is a good topic to talk about. It's a low hanging fruit, right? It's one of those things that you can easily work on. Can you dive into a little bit about, you know, what is stomach acid and how, why it affects our ability to uptake nutrients and break down food so much and what a person you know, like what are the symptoms and like, what are some things that we can do about it? Kind of like dive into stomach acid for us. Yeah. So hydrochloric acid is the first barrier of entry into the body. So it is the first thing that kills anything that's bad on the food and the parasites and the pathogens. So think of it as the, the first, uh, first barrier. Uh, but it's also super important for initially breaking down and unfolding proteins. So think about, you know, when you cook an egg, so to speak, it turns it into a runny egg and turns into something hard. That's pretty much the unfolding of proteins. And hydrochloric acid also starts the whole digestive process by kind of liquefying and breaking down foods and primarily protein. One thing most people don't understand though is sufficient uh, acidity of the stomach is required to absorb iron, uh, to absorb B12, to absorb calcium and uh, also zinc. So if people have these deficiencies, which are, those are probably some of the highest nutrient deficiencies in the world, you should look to your stomach first. Uh, so really, really important. And then when the, it's called chyme, the food that comes in the stomach, when it gets broken down, when it enters the small intestine, that's actually what stimulates all the muscles to push food downward. Okay. So motility is also really important for eliminating constipation uh, and bloating and things like that. So hydrochloric acid is really, really important. And there's no um, the, the hard part about it is that the symptoms of having high stomach acid are the exact as having low stomach acid. Okay. Too much stomach acid gets regurgitated up into the esophagus or your throat. You feel burning. If there's not enough, your body's like, Oh, let's get rid of this. Okay. Regurgitates it back up as well. So you go to a doctor and you say, Oh, I have a, a, a GERD. Like, okay, let me put you on a PPI. Uh, when Ugh. large majority of the time people have low stomach acid because there's no test for it. They're, you can look at some labs and figure it out, but most doctors don't know how to do that. Right. And then you just put someone on PPI and now they turn into a chronic case of having low stomach acid and their, their problems don't get better. Right. So, and it can also create a lot of dysfunction down the line. That can give you issues with SIBO that can give you bacteria overgrowth. And then again, like he was saying, so now foods, your foods are more sensitive in your stomach. You've got 10 foods you eat whenever you go outside. So now you have no food variety. And it, it, it's like this, this cascading downfall. And just like he was saying, with the symptoms being exactly the same, you almost kind of have to try out adding a little bit more in there and see if it makes a difference. And some easy things you can do is like apple cider vinegar before a meal. You know, that's a very, very easy way. Add that in as you're eating your food, but also like how you're eating your food. Don't be rushing around. Don't be like, be sitting down, be chewing your food, be mindful about that kind of stuff too. Cause that can also play a huge role. And when trying to identify some of the stuff that's going on, unfortunately, because it's sometimes there's many different things going on at the same time, you really have to be mindful and you really have to be committed to trying out one process of healing. So if you're going to be doing the apple cider vinegar, continue to do it. You know, don't just do it once and then stop, do it for a full day. See if you're starting to notice a difference. What are some other things people can do or should avoid when they're having those issues that you typically see? Like, for example, Tums. Hold, I know hold on, Sonia. I want to ask him a, actually a question before we move on to that. That is important. Yeah. So I have a question, Travis. Um, I had some issues with actually eating a lot of meat or beef. I wasn't processing it right until we actually figured out, you know, try some ox bile and ox bile fixed my issue completely. Is that a cause of low uh, hydrochloric acid or are we talking high chloric? I'm assuming it would be low hydrochloric acid, correct? No, ox bile is actually uh, a fat emulsification substance. So ox bile is a supplement you give to someone when you don't produce enough bile. Okay. So bile is the first stage, first step of breaking down dietary fats. To come through. So maybe you were, you're noticing you're eating fattier cuts of meat, maybe like 80, 20. And it was the fat that was causing a lot of the problems for you. Now it could have been a combination. There's never one thing that's ever the problem. It was definitely the fat. Cause yeah. you can tell, you can tell in the, and we're going to keep it really raw, but when, when talking to some people, what they're asking me was, okay, the best way to find out 
or one of the best ways is look at your stool. Is it sticking to the toilet? If it's sticking to the toilet, you're not processing fats accordingly, right? Shiny, shiny can be another Right, thing. shiny. And, and that was really the case. And, you know, I had to look at my stool and I said, you know what? You're right. It isn't. And we introduced ox bile and immediately started triggering. I mean, it, it helped. Every time I would eat, I would eat uh, some kind of cut of, 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 uh, of meat that maybe was high fat. I would have ox bile and it would, it would feel much better. I wouldn't bloat as much. Yeah. So, I mean, there's honestly, like I, 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 for many years, I gave people client stool charts, like how did it look? Okay. Because you can tell, <laughs> you can tell literally if um, someone has low bile, uh, the tan, the stool will be light tan. Okay. Too much bile. It's green. Okay. You can have oil slicks um, uh, in the toilet, like on the top of the water, if too much fat's coming out. And there's a couple of markers that you can look at in testing. It's called uh, steatocrit, which actually looks at how much fat is coming out in the stool. Uh, but realistically, if you're, you have like, you know, as they call them stripers in, in the toilet, <laughs> um, uh, that's high mucus content. Okay. So basically that means that, yeah, you're getting too much protein in the diet and there's too much mucus containing food. So think dairy, eggs, meat, things like that, uh, are very high mucus containing foods and you're not breaking it down. It's always a good way to know if you're getting enough fiber in your diet, you eat too much protein based on how much you wipe your behind when you're uh, uh, doing number two. I think that's really common too, especially like in the world of bro science that, you know, high, high protein, high, high protein, even in dieting, high, high protein. And then you're, you know, you cut carbs and then you're low fiber. So it's definitely something to, to kind of be mindful of too. One thing I am going to say, like a lot of times, like there's this, there's this, there's this like um, trend of just like having your gallbladder moved. And it's <laughs> the minute that there's like some symptom it, and it, I swear to God, I feel like I'm meeting more people in their twenties and thirties that are like, well, my, my doctor just like, like took out my gallbladder. If you don't have a gallbladder, you should be taking ox bile daily. daily. That is not an organ. Heart. That's like your tonsils. <laughs> um, it's definitely needed. And when you don't have it, your body's ability to store bile is gone and it can create a lot of issues and it can create, you'll start to see like a lot of dysfunction, a lot of just like, cr like chronic diarrhea, going to the bathroom, your body's ability to break down and absorb nutrients. Um, so many different things. So if you guys are listening and you do not have a gallbladder, go on Amazon, ox bile is amazing. Um, and, and take that daily for sure. So let me ask you one more question about uh, uh, actually bile. When you're having those bile issues, do, do, does your body just jumpstart the production of bile or is there a process or something other than ox bile that you can do to jumpstart your own production of bile? Actually, it's, it's not uh, you have an issue with bile. Now, if you don't, even if you don't have a gallbladder, the gallbladder, all it does is store bile and release it based on how much fat you had in a meal. So if you take someone's gallbladder out, you're, you have no like sensor to say, oh, there was a lot of fat in that meal. So release more, release more bile into the digestive tract. So bile is actually made in the liver, connects to biliary ducts and connects into small intestine, but it can, uh, the biliary ducts can, be, can become clump, like uh, it can turn into like sludge. So the bile moves very slowly. So that's the biggest issue with a lot of bile before it becomes, you know, it's called biliary stasis. Um, and that's usually when they want to remove someone's gallbladder. Okay, because there'll be infection in the gallbladder and they'll and they'll see that on an ultrasound. Now, my advice to anyone out there who has a doctor that, that they do an ultrasound, they say, listen, it's inflamed. Let's remove it. Uh, please get a second opinion. If, uh, I, I've saved at least 10 people's gallbladder by just doing simple gallbladder cleanses and doing something to kind of push all the bile out. Uh, and if you don't have a gallbladder, it's going to affect you the rest of your life. Okay, some people don't have any symptoms. Some people have serious symptoms. So it's uh, not something you just want to cut out. And it's now the number one surgery in, in, in America. Wow. That's, crazy. that's astonishing. It's crazy on a lifestyle. Cause I think we should bring all this back to like lifestyle instead of necessarily just supplements, but what can a person do if they're moving that direction to make changes in their lifestyle to prevent issues with their gallbladder, either down the line, or if they're starting to have some issues, uh, one eat more bitter foods. Okay, so dan um, dandelion greens, uh, drink coffee. So if you, if you feel like you have an issue with fat digestion uh, or you eat fats and you get diarrhea or you feel nauseous after higher fat meals, uh, try to include more bitter foods. Um, you can also take some of the precursors uh, that you can use for bile like taurine and B vitamins. And there's a great, um, I know you said stay away from supplements. There's a great supplement called phosphatidyl. We can talk supplements. We can talk supplements for sure. We the first thing is if you're having an issue with fats is slowly build up tolerance 
to eating fats, okay? And you can include uh, medium chain triglycerides. Those are fats that do not require uh, the food. That would be M- MCTs like coconut oil and stuff like that for those listening, yeah. Correct, correct. So MCT, there's XCT oil and MCT is, is it's called medium chain triglycerides. It's what's found in coconut oil. So you can uh, eat more of those if you need to get your fat content up uh, and then start with bitter foods, okay? There's also something called digestive bitters, Okay, which are things that stimulate all of the kind of gastric juices, but also stimulates bile. Again, they're bitter, so bitter foods, bitter supplements. Uh, and get off your butt. If you're sitting on your butt all day, uh, move more. Enzymes in the body, there's a lot of peptides that are created in the gut that stimulate you know, motility and movement and contractions of the gallbladder. Uh, get some sunshine, get some sleep. And then, uh, yeah, if you want to go the supplement route, there's something called phosphatidylcholine. I know that was a mouthful. It's phosphatidylcholine. That helps kind of liquefy the bile so it doesn't get all sludgy. Um, And then if you don't have a gallbladder, yeah, ox bile. And then a really good digestive enzyme that focuses on um, uh, lipase. Lipase is the fat breaking down enzyme. So you want higher counts of lipase versus uh, something like, uh, amylase and cellulase and things like that. Yeah. And that's another thing, like to kind of like reference back is, you know, there's different digestive enzymes that are going to break down different types of food, carbohydrates, fibrous foods, proteins, fats, and you can be low in one and not necessarily low in the other. So making sure that you're kind of looking at your symptoms, working with a coach or reading different information about, you know, um, which digest like, okay, these are the foods that tend to trigger me. You know, how do I look for digestive enzymes to support that? Um, that can be super helpful as well versus just completely eliminating that food from your diet, because eventually out of the art of elimination, you're just going to get to a point where again, you've really limited yourself and put yourself in a box versus, you know, something simple, like taking digestive enzymes to support that. Um, I take a digestive enzymes daily. I do apple cider vinegar daily. I've had SIBO. I've been there, done it, not willing to go back. And I, I don't have any issues with any of the foods anymore. I don't have bloating. I don't have like any food intolerances. Um, and it's, it, it really can make a huge difference. So I want to dive into a little bit about, you know, we went over leaky gut. Um, I want to dive into the correlation between leaky gut and leaky brain, how that's connected and what the symptoms are of that. Basically the same, as you want to call it, that endothelial lining that's in the gut it's the pretty much same structure that lines the brain that prevents certain things from getting into the brain that shouldn't. It's actually a little bit more uh, structured than the gut uh, because obviously certain things are not supposed to get into the brain. But when someone has uh, antibodies that show destruction to the gut, which are called anti-zonulin antibodies and uh, anti-actin, which are the, those are the two types of cells that make up the gut lining, those are the same antibodies that attack uh, the lining of the brain. So you can pretty much rest assured if someone does have intestinal permeability, they also have leaky brain. And I'll go even one step further. There's also something called the blood testes barrier, and it's the exact same thing. So if there is leaky gut, okay, there's also, you know, the uh, leaky, I guess you call it ball brain, ball, ball barrier. Brain? Ball <laughs> barrier. I don't think I've ever put it into words like that. <laughs> That sounds painful. Uh, let me find out there's something <laughs> called leaky balls. It'll never leave my vocabulary. It's the the uh, testes barrier, the, the, bl- uh, the blood testes barrier is the technical term for it. But people want to know why testosterone levels are dropping. So, And the testes are probably one of the most sensitive organs in the body to inflammation and to chemicals. So the same thing with the brain. Okay. So remember what the brain is made up of. It's made up of fat. Okay, and, and toxins uh, or uh, inflammatory particles from lipopolysaccharide, they love fat, called lipophilic, fat loving. So when things get in the brain, they love to be stored in the brain. So if someone has intestinal permeability, there's a good chance that what's getting into the blood is also getting into the brain. Now that's only one aspect of, let's just say toxins coming from the gut. There's also another, uh, could call it a two-way highway that connects the brain and the gut. Uh, it's called the vagus nerve. Okay, so chemicals and toxins from the gut are able to travel back and forth from the brain to the gut. So this is how the brain sends signals to the gut to, to move and create hormones. And this is how the brain gets signals from the digestive tract saying, okay, you have enough food. Uh, we don't need to create any more hormones. And that's like a two-way street. So if things are 
in the gut that shouldn't be, uh, they can get into the brain pretty quickly. My question is, what are the symptoms of Lee brain for the audience? Uh, brain fog. Uh, so uh, uh, just uh, forgetting your keys, not remembering things, okay? Uh, forgetting like the simplest aspects. And uh, the biggest one would be fatigue. Now, fatigue can be caused by so many things, but add uh, brain fog, getting very cloudy after high carb meals, overall fatigue, forgetting things would be one of the biggest signs of brain, of a leaky brain barrier. How about leaky, <laughs> leaky balls? <laughs> leaky. Uh, low testosterone, low testosterone, uh, infertility. I think, this, I think that seems to be the trend now. And I, I notice a lot of um, customers and clients and that are constantly pinging uh, Team Amino Pure. And I see a lot, I shouldn't say a lot, but a lot of the people that are willing to share their experience with their, their, their testosterone levels, they're in their 20s, late 20s, early 30s, and they have readings of 230, 300, which for us is relatively low. Uh, in the scheme of things, we're talking about a range of 200 to 1,000 being normal. Um, reading 200 and we've talked this uh, before Pops, already yeah. it's very low so do you think that it's it, it's more of a lifestyle thing where there's the amount of chemicals that are being used in today's society for foods that is causing this trend in low testosterone i mean there's there's a couple factors to be considered but you know they have numerous uh, meta-analysis on this like it's not it's not theory uh, chemicals are causing infertility in both males and females. Uh, and with males, the reason why you're seeing such low testosterone levels, there's probably a huge stress component. Okay. There's so many other factors like electromagnetic frequencies, like, like it or not, put your phone in your pocket. Okay. And you're going to, you're going to have a lower sperm count. Okay. That's also going to affect testosterone levels. Uh, but again, once that barrier, uh, from chemicals breaks down on the testes, it's like a free-for-all. Anything can get in there and it causes more oxidative stress, more, more inflammation. And when the, the testes or, the, or the, the gonads, so to speak, are inflamed, first thing they're going to do is shut down. And there's also the factor of people are not eating high antioxidant diets. So even if there is oxidative stress in the, the cells that make testosterone in the testes, we're not eating enough things that we need to quench those uh, free radicals in the cells. So there's many factors that can play a role, but <laughs> chemicals are 100%. So anyone thinks that they can drink out of a plastic bottle, uh, drink out of a Starbucks cup with a, a plastic lid, uh, you know, use Teflon pans, reheat their food in plastic and not have uh, consequences, they're sorely mistaken. It's, it's a serious, I know, Ron's, I'm like, Ron's like, Pyrex, buddy. My, Pyrex. Work, my work life. <laughs> my work life's all speaking to me. I know. I'm like, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to the bathroom and see if I have leaky balls like, next. <laughs> I love you. So I care about you. I want to let you know, like, you shouldn't be drinking tap water. You know, there's enough fluoride in there to shut down your thyroid. And I'm like, the squeaky fucking wheel. But like, the thing is, is when you start to learn more and more about this, or you've gone through hormonal dysfunction and you're, you're pulling that fucking thread and you're like, I'm doing it right. I'm doing that right. And then you start to look at the environmental toxins that you're allowing into your body by things like, you know, you know, estrogens coming in through microwaving plastics, the water that you're drinking, the cosmetics you're putting on your body, the lotions, you know, like uh, I know a lot of people, they don't even wash their asparagus. And you're literally talking about one of the dirtiest, like the, the, the FDA calls them dirty, the FDA guys, which is like the standard American diet supporter calls that like one of the dirty dozen that you should never even really eat unless it's completely organic and like most people don't even wash their fruits and vegetables and then they wonder why they have these downregulated thyroids downregulated you know sex hormones it's like it's a bigger issue than i think people actually know about and i think it's a leading an underlying leading cause to a lot of autoimmune disorders and and uh, and and gut dysfunctions right there alongside of it this is why uh, for all the listeners out there why we're sharing all this experience because I'm not an expert on, on a gut biome, but I'm learning so much as we go along. And if we can actually tweak certain habits, we're not saying to, impl uh, to, to implement all or, or everything we're talking about today, but we're saying that if you start implementing some of them, you're gonna, going to start seeing some positive benefits to what we're saying. And that's important. So Travis, one question here. So what are, what are, what are your solutions for leaky gut? How do you usually, when somebody comes in and, and, and you can say, hey, you have... I believe you have leaky gut because as far as I know, it's not a diagnosed disorder in Western medicine, right? So how do you, how do you go about that in, in solving these issues? You create diversity in the gut. 
So if you can create more of a diverse microbiome and feed more of the, the good guys, so to speak, they will come in and uh, create more of those enzymes to break things down. They will reduce levels of inflammation. And when that takes place, when they, they crowd out some of that bad bacteria, then the gut cells can heal. Now you might need to add some different things in that can do that to feed some of the good guys and kill some of the bad guys, so to speak, if, if it's situations warranted. But uh, that's probably one of the best bets. And with, uh, you know, there's things like soil-based probiotics, but the best thing I could say is just get more plants, more variety, more color into the diet each day. If you have gut problems, if you have skin problems, if you have brain fog, if you have hormonal problems, okay, if you're you know, wiping your butt too many times, like the list can go on and on. It's all connected back to a healthy microbiome. Healthy microbiome. So would you say that, uh, and this is may not or may actually apply to, to some of the competitors out there, food diversity. You're saying food diversity is, is key. Plant, plant diversity. So like you said, you drink a greens drink, okay? Greens drinks are great for micros. They have zero fibers in them. Okay. They don't feed the gut. So an easy hack that even people in a, in a prep diet can do is go to the store, get 10, 12 vegetables, put them in little, you know, uh, wash them, put them in silicone Ziploc bags, blend it up into a drink and drink it every day. You know what I mean? Very low calories. Okay. You want more of the, the tubers, but more of the herbs and the leafy greens, things that don't have a lot of calories in them, add it to a protein shake. Uh, drink one of those a day, that will do uh, a tremendous benefit towards helping your gut. And all you have to do every week, pick 10 new vegetables, okay? It's not something that's going to taste fantastic, uh, but it, honestly, it doesn't taste that bad either, especially when you have like a, a chocolate protein shake with it. It kind of masks it. But think of what you're doing for your gut. And all these people that are having digestive problems have been competing and training for years. I've been there. I've seen what it does to your gut. This is one of the best ways that you can try to mitigate the, the negatives of doing that. Absolutely. I think it's a great idea. Another, another thing that I like to do with clients is I do um, aloe juice. I do glutamine powder, like powdered glutamine. It's super cheap. Aloe juice, super inexpensive. You can get a gallon of it online. Um, and I do zinc and those are, I'll have people do, I actually do that too daily. Like it's a super nice way to just like coat the lining in the stomach and to help rebuild the mucosal lining in the stomach, which is, is going to be preventative for that and help helping in that healing process as well. But I think another thing Travis was said earlier too, that I want to bring it back to is like, you have to lower the inflammatory foods that you're allowing in your body too. And when it comes to healing leaky gut, I mean, if you think about it, like anytime there's inflammation and, and you think about like locking your fingers together, if there's an inflammatory response and those fingers start to pull apart, you're, you're just, you're reopening those junctions, reopening those junctions. So during the time when, if you think that you're dealing with some symptoms of leaky gut and, and I want to talk about the thyroid connection to that, but just go ahead and start, you know, kind of pulling out high inflammatory foods from your diet, start, you know, adding in some glutamine and aloe, start, start like kind of acting as if, because even if you just have a little bit of leaky gut going on, it's going to make a big difference. And I think a lot of people, especially who are just like not super dialed in, like tra like Travis, like Travis, right? Like we're eating all that food variety. It would be a great place to just start healing the gut or at least supporting that healthy gut function as well. well one thing I think if you guys have a lot of competitors as, um, as people who are listeners yeah. is that what you do when you eat all these animal products, okay, is you create an imbalance between omega-6 to omega-3 fatty acids in the body, okay, which creates a pro-inflammatory state. And it's mostly animal fats, butter, shellfish, butter. regular fish. Um, and it, it's not all saturated fats, but saturated fats have something that they convert is called arachidonic acid, which is very, very inflammatory. So even someone might be listening to this and say, like, well, I don't eat a lot of animal fats. Okay. Every ounce of chicken breast has one gram of fat in it. Okay. How many ounces of you bodybuilders out there of chicken are you eating a day? Okay. <laughs> it adds up. And how much fish oil, how much fish, which actually has a high omega-3 content or seaweed, are you eating each day to balance it? Okay. Probably not that much. So you're creating a pro-inflammatory state right off the bat, even if you think you're eating the best bro diet in the world. Okay, that still will cause problems in the gut and everywhere else in the, in the body. 
And I think you're probably talking the pounds. I mean, for competitors, I myself, it's a pound is easy to, 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 when you're eating 250 grams of protein and you're having five or four meals a day of six to seven ounces of chicken each, I mean, you're looking at a pound and a half, two pounds a day of chicken. So one of the things that we always, and, and Sonia, you're a big proponent of this is add omegas, uh, an omega supplement into your diet, just to try to keep that balance off on Fish oils, krill oils can be super helpful. Watching like a lot of people do like a lot of peanut butter and like their bro diet. That can also be like another thing. Gluten, huge. I mean, like most people have issues with gluten. I'm like, I hate to say it. It really sucks. So I want to talk about that a little bit. Uh, So you just brought up the whole gluten thing. And I am skeptical of a lot of people you talk to. Okay. There's a lot of people you talk to. Everybody thinks they're gluten intolerant. Everybody you talk to is like, oh, I, I'm gluten intolerant. They have a little bit of a, of, of a bloating. Oh, it's a gluten. I, I can't eat gluten. So what have you seen in, in, in your years of experience are true gluten intolerances versus other, other systemic issues that are going on in their bodies? Let them have it, Travis. You let uh, them have so, it. Um, just for everyone, gluten is a pretty much as undigestible protein. Okay. And it's something our body can't break down. And it causes intestinal permeability every time we eat, okay? Now, that doesn't always necessarily mean it's a problem. uh, It's a problem when you you lose what's called oral tolerance, meaning that if the junctions are open too much, you cause too much intestinal permeability and too much of it gets through, the immune system gets overwhelmed and says, okay, there's too much of this. We don't know what it is, okay? We're going to put a tag on it and we're going to say, this is a bad guy, okay? That's what happens when someone creates a celiac sensitivity. Okay, this is how people can't eat it anymore. Now, the far end of the spectrum is celiac disease, where you actually have an enzyme that's found in the gut, in the skin, or in the brain, and the body starts attacking those enzymes. Problem with celiac disease is one third of the people with celiac disease, they don't have any digestive symptoms. It's all skin and brain. So sometimes people are like, oh yeah, gluten doesn't doesn't cause any problems. Well, how's your skin? How's your brain? Okay, how's your memory? That's what people don't realize. Now, when it comes to sensitivities, that's just another thing where they're getting too much of it. There might be too much bacteria in the gut that's inflammatory. There might be too much leaky gut. They might not be breaking things down with their digestive enzymes. It could be a perfect storm, okay? It could be too much in one meal. There's a lot of factors that could play a role that could contribute to it, but it's 100% uh, a real factor for causing problems. Uh, Let me ask you a question and and rolling into what you just said right now, because what I think that, and, and I'm not saying that people are not gluten intolerant. What I'm saying is a lot of people are self-diagnosing themselves. And a lot of it's because I don't eat bread. So then I had a piece of bread and all of a sudden I'm bloating, I'm gluten intolerant. Well, yeah. it, could be, it could be not the fact that you're gluten intolerant. It could be the fact that you haven't had bread in um, a year or six months. You don't have the enzymes to break down that bread. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're, you're gluten intolerant. And I talk to a lot of people and a lot of people tell me, I can't, I'm gluten intolerant. So what percentage of the cases that you see, I mean, is, is it a fad? Is it real? Uh, do you see more and more people becoming gluten intolerant or you think that people are just self-diagnosing in a wrong matter? There's a couple, there's a couple of rabbit holes you could go down that statement. And what you said is 100% right. When you don't eat bread for a while, you have an enzyme that breaks down gluten and it downregulates. So if you don't eat it for six months and then all of a sudden you have some bread and you have bloat and you have issues, that's because your body isn't primed to produce all the enzymes it needs to break it down. Okay. Now, in addition to that, th- there could be numerous other problems uh, in terms of how much they eat. Okay. Uh, it's a quantity. And then there's also what's called hybridization. Okay. So basically over the past 50 years, they call it the 50, 50 rule over the past 50 years, the wheat that's grown in America, which is called now um, uh, modern wheat, okay, versus ancient wheat has 50% more gluten than it used. Okay. So now they took out the wheat germ, which is actually the healthy part of wheat, and they replaced it more with gluten because it yields more. Okay. So it's not, it's not a genetically modified product. They haven't spliced it. They've just kind of uh, taken parts out of it and played with the DNA. So it grows uh, a, a, a little larger, so to speak. So those could all be the problems as to why people are having issues and why people can go over to Europe and Italy and eat the bread over there. And they're perfectly fine. They're still using ancient wheat. We're using modern wheat over here, uh, which is hybridized quantity, uh, breakdown, uh, all of the above. Would you say it's a way of cheating the customer? 
uh, yeah, it's a way of America trying to uh, per- put more profit in the, in the because profit. because it totally sounds like the supplement industry of what they do uh, a lot of companies, but we won't dive into that. Um, so yeah. <laughs> like unregulated, was, unregulated industry. It's like oh my lord, yeah. And so going back to what we were talking about, and and I totally agree with what you're saying. So would you say that there's a and I I've always wondered the difference. You actually probably nailed it. The difference between organic, uh, let's say oat, oatmeal versus not organic. And would you say that organic in that case is probably better because it's not uh, it's not as, as dense in gluten? Uh, so there's no gluten in oats. So it's only wheat, barley, and rye um, oh. that's in gluten, okay? But here's the problem with unorganic oats is that many of the places that process and manufacture non-organic oats do so with wheat in the same container. And they have these giant vats yeah. that they don't clean in between. So you're getting cross-contamination. And sometimes when people are sensitive to gluten, all they need is a speck. You can literally have a crumb from a, a piece of gluten toast that gets on a piece of non-gluten toast in a toaster and someone will have a reaction. So we're screwed Americans, <laughs> no matter how we see it. You know, what great information, because I wasn't aware of that and what you just mentioned with regards to gluten, but uh, what I've noted, and even people that are doing, uh, let's say, um, that are like, the whole lactose, I'm, I'm lactose intolerant, and I know it's becoming more and more apparent. And I go back to the whole enzyme thing. Are you, are you utilizing some enzymes to break down? Have you been dieting for a long period of time? And a lot of competitors that are listening today, um, they, they go through their prep, their entire prep, and we see it over and over again. I'm, I'm sure Sonia sees it as well. Um, the rebound is horrible where they put on 15 to 20 pounds in a matter of three days a week. And the reason is because they've been so limited to the amount of foods that they're eating. And then they go off the reservation and eat everything that they haven't been eating. And their bodies don't have those enzymes to break it down. And their body's saying, WTF, what are you doing to me? I don't know what to do with this. What do I do with this? So for the competitors that are listening in, and I know you talked about food variability, would you say that you can still incorporate some food variability into a prep diet or how do you, how do you counter something like this? Yeah. So, I mean, for, for the competitors out there, uh, I mean, one of the main reasons why you put so much weight on after the show is that your metabolism has been downregulated. Sure. Okay. You're now eating less and the thyroid, uh, is downregulated. Um, all of the, all the enzymes, like you said, have been downregulated because they're not eating a different variety of food. Uh, and also, there's a severe like adrenal output uh, disbalance or an imbalance between aldosterone, which is what holds water and allows uh, salt into the cells. So combine all three of those factors. And then, you know, most people tend to also pig out for the couple of days after a show, the body's like, oh my gosh, this is just way too much food. So during a prep for any bodybuilders out there, yeah, get on a, a good broad spectrum digestive enzyme and identify do you have any digestive problems? Is there ever any bloating? Does it come from proteins? Does it come from fibers? Does it come from fats? And try to find a little extra focus on supporting that system. Uh, and yeah, try to add some different variety. And if you're eating the same vegetables, I, I know you can't have a lot of color vegetables, but there's a lot of green vegetables out there. There's a lot of fibers uh, that you can still get. And it's just making a hybrid approach. Uh, and I think the biggest problem in the bodybuilding industry, there's too many people out there pushing meal plans, doing the exact same thing over and over again. Uh, not trying to, not willing to break the wheel because they think that's the only way thing that works. You know, like, I think it, it goes back to, it's kind of like, what can you do differently right now to make sure that you're not going through these issues down the line. Right. And I think one of the things is, is like during prep, you're so scared to like color outside of the lines. And then once the show dates off the calendar, you're like YOLO and you're eating a lot of things all of a sudden kind of like that bro friendly food, like Lenny and Larry's cookies and quest bars and all this, like, like kind of like, sorry, like shit food, like highly processed food. And your body doesn't know how to break that stuff down. Right. And what happens is you add in all the sweeteners, like, right. You're living the prep life, sweeteners, urethrols, all those kinds of foods that create a lot of indigestion, indigestion and bloating inside of the gut and all those high, high fiber, low, low carb foods. And you're literally like feeding it up, right? Like you're feeding up stomach issues. And then after prep, like he said, you start to add in stuff like a lot of times that weight gain comes from, you know, what did your prep even look like? Did you pull water? Did you pull salt? Were you eating low sodium diets? And then all of a sudden, like you added that in, you have those high spikes on the scale. Um, so, so awesome information. I know we're getting ready to like wrap some stuff up, but I do want to kind of address like one thing that I think people kind of get like 
their fucking head spinning around. I get so many people and I've even asked you because I have so many people ask me like, what's a good food intolerance test. Can you break down food intolerance versus food allergies? And if someone feels like they have food intolerances, what they can start to do. Okay. So food intolerance, I guess there's three ways you can look at sensitivities. One, there's a food allergy. Okay. That's called an IgE antibody reaction. Basically your immune cells are creating antibodies to a substance that it thinks foreign that's not. Okay, think bee pollen, grass, shellfish, peanuts, things that you get swelling up of the tissues right away. It's an immediate reaction. Now, when you have an intolerance, that means you're lacking an enzyme. So like lactose intolerance. That means your body does not produce enough lactose, uh, um, sorry, lactase to break down lactose. And then you have food sensitivities, which are immune reactions to undigested food proteins. Okay, so basically, uh, foods are broken down into monosaccharides and to uh, amino acids and into fatty acids, the basic forms. If anything's not broken down properly, your immune system's going to see it and say, we don't know what you are. You're not supposed to be here. And they're going to cause an immune response. That is a food sensitivity. And the problem with food sensitivities is they, they can happen three days after you ate something because things get into your bloodstream and they travel through the lymphatic system and you could have something three days later. So it's very, very hard to pin things down at, oh, what did I eat today? What did I not eat? Okay. Now, in terms of food intolerance testing, okay, the, there is something, there's only one, one way that's really uh, advised, okay, and it's called uh, the ELISA um, antibody testing, okay? You're looking at actual IgG, IgA antibodies, okay, sorry, I'm taking that back, IgM and IgG antibodies in the bloodstream. Okay. And it's very expensive if you order it through labs, if you go through LabCorp, okay, there's only one company that I would advise ordering food intolerance tests and it's called Cyrex Labs. Okay. And the reason they do that is because they cook, they, they do cooked and raw food. Any other time you see a food intolerance test, I don't care what it is. There's not other one that's ever done it. It's always cooking raw. Okay. I don't know about you. Not many people eat raw eggs. Not many people eat raw chicken. Not many people eat a lot of raw things. So, and the antigen, uh, antigenicity, okay, meaning the, the reaction goes up significantly if cooked foods. My advice is to not waste your money on food intolerance tests and do what's called an elimination diet, okay? Go very strict for two to, to four weeks, eliminate all the big trigger foods, okay? If anyone has a question, an AIP list is probably the most, uh, one of the more strict, strict lists that you can use, autoimmune paleo and bear down for four weeks, remove it, and then slowly reintroduce foods. One food per day, one, um, one day off to let the immune system kind of calm down. And what happens over that elimination diet period is that the immune system then calms down, okay? It's not overreactive. And then by now introducing a food that it doesn't like, okay, you'll now have an exaggerated response. You'll have increased symptoms from the new reintroduction of that food if it's a problem food, and that should be a food that you need to eliminate uh, and work on possibly rebuilding the gut and leaky gut and focusing on digestion and you know, all the things that go along with gut health. I love it. Awesome. Well, Travis, you've been super knowledgeable. I'm sure we're going to have you back because when it comes to gut health, we could literally, we didn't even jump into like SIBO types of SIBO, that kind of stuff. We just wanted to kind of keep it not necessarily surface. Cause I hate to say surface, but just start with the basics right here. And then hopefully we can have you back. We can chat biofilms, SIBO, thyroid, get into some more meat and potatoes of it, but tell our listeners where they can find you, plug yourself as a coach, drop all the information so people know if they want to work with you, what that would look like and where they can go. Yeah. So uh, I got a website. If you're a coach, you want to start to learn how to deal with uh, difficult clients like uh, Sonia is and become a little more confident in your craft, just wellfits, W-E-L-L-F-I-T-Z.com. Uh, I put out uh, some videos every week on uh, random topics. Uh, it's uh, Travis underscore zipper um, uh, on Instagram. And I got a good, great content site for coaches on hormones and longevity and different stuff. Just TravisZipper.com. All free uh, information, a lot of questionnaires, a lot of case studies for you coaches out there. Um, just trying to make you uh, better at your craft. Yeah. I will just say like, I do get a lot of people that ask me how I know so much, like, well, one, I'm just passionate about this and I've been doing it for a long time. I love learning. 
but I literally surround myself with people who know way more than I do. And I just learn from them. I've signed up for Travis. I'm, I'm in the mentorship program with Travis best investment I ever did. I've done a lot of the NCI courses, best investment. Like I've invested so much in my education and my continuing education. I'm constantly learning. I'm constantly reading PubMed studies. Um, and if you want to level up as a coach, I highly recommend checking that out, especially if like, maybe you're just into macros and bodybuilding right now. And you want to start working more on the hormonal side of things. Or like me, you started seeing clients that weren't dying, dieting with a calorie deficit. And you wanted to start to learn how to help those people on a deeper level. So um, we'll wrap it up next week. We have, um, we're going to be diving into more natural bodybuilding. We've done some <laughs> PEDs. We've so, so what we're going to do next week, um, yeah. I, we've gotten a lot of uh, questions with regards to some of the products that we actually offer at Amino Pure and Team Amino Pure. So we're going to have um, somebody that just joined uh, Team Amino Pure. We're going to talk more about natural uh, implementation of supplements into uh, your routine into your protocol and not only how to implement it, but uh, so a lot of the products that team that amino prepares out are injectable, injectable carnitine, uh, amino pump, some of them, some peptides, HCG. Um, we have TB 500 BPC 157, which has been a hit for amino pure. And uh, so a lot of the questions people are, are asking is, are these natural? Am I going to test positive and how do I run them? So we figured that we would go back and uh, have a whole episode on breaking down acetyl L-carnitine, the benefits of acetyl again, touch base on that because a lot of questions keep coming up on Neuro360. And uh, so we're going to have a lot of, a lot of answers uh, with regards to that. And uh, we'll hope and whatever you guys need, I mean, by all means, for, to all the listeners, competitors, lifestylers, whatever questions that you guys have, interest that you guys want to hear from, from us, let us know. I mean, we're trying, our, our motto is to really educate the, the, the common folk out there and everyone, uh, much like what Sonia was saying, surround yourself with people that know more than you and you will immediately rise and learn more. And that's really what our motto is. Uh, I learn every single day from people that come on board and um, have these chats through CarFast Fitness. We're here to support you. I don't have any more questions. I think that we definitely need to tra have Travis back again uh, for another episode, maybe multiple episodes. I mean, there's so many questions that I wish I could ask you right now, as a matter of fact, but uh, one hour is just not enough. So we're going to break down in series and we're, we'll go from there. Anything else from you, Sonia? No, that's it, guys. Can't wait to see you guys or see you guys. <laughs> Can't wait to hear, hear, hear more about how you guys like this episode. The words are hard. All right, Happy guys. Friday. Happy Friday, as I always end up. God first, family second, everything else just comes after that. Take care.